0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you.
1: His holy name.
0: The first reading comes from Psalm 18, verses 1 to 19. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly upon the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his covering around him. His canopy thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him there broke through the clouds hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the word were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He reached down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the mighty waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the
2: word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to church this morning. It's wonderful to see a smattering of people here. Uh, My name is Steph, if you haven't met me before. And hello to everyone watching on the live stream. Uh, I'll be speaking this morning from that second passage. So uh, as we uh, hear from God's word this morning, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we pray that as you open your word to us, that you would minister to our hearts and that we would indeed magnify you with all the glory that you deserve for what you have done. Amen. Well, we've just had Christmas. It's now January. Things are slow, things are quiet. But we've had this amazing announcement of the Lord coming. But there are two stories of Christmas, aren't there? Now, the first is that story about a virgin who sees an angel and shepherds watching their flocks by night, and Mary and Joseph on their donkey, and not being able to find a place to sleep. It's traditional, it's pious, and perhaps we think it's the kind of thing that kids might get bored of and grow tired of listening to. And so, of course, there's another story. and This one has reindeer and elves, and a man in a red suit visiting every house through the chimney, and you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus knows who is naughty and nice, and he's coming to town. That's the story. Well, which one do we look forward to, and how should we respond to it? Well, I would argue, and I think you would too, that it's Mary's story, which is the better story and the greater story. She comes bearing the bringer of salvation, She's the mother of our maker, the carer of our king. Now, she has no magical servants. She has no storehouses full of gifts, no omniscient power or particular prestige to set her apart from others. In fact, she's poor. She's young, maybe only 14. Not a lot might be expected of her. But she offers us something invaluable. In this song that she sings for us today, she shows us what it looks like to be captivated by God's salvation. So it's her song that we want to be singing. How do you respond to God's salvation? Well, if you're like me, I often don't give it a lot of thought, which sounds a little bit ironic being in ministry. But it can be like that, can't it? It can be so familiar, And we often don't think about it, and sometimes we don't think we actually need saving. More than that, we take it for granted. And so living like a saved person, what does that actually mean? That can be difficult to work out. And maybe the things that we crave in our faith, the the joy, uh, the, the love and the hope, we miss out on because we haven't reflected on the great salvation that God has brought us. Now, Mary, she's often thought of as this quite demure, quiet girl. And we're going to talk about Mary's humility today. But her response in this song is bold and confident and refreshing. And it shows us how to answer this question. How are we to respond to God's salvation? And I'm going to look at it under three headings. We rejoice in his faithfulness. We submit to his rule and we depend on his mercy. Well, how do we respond to God's salvation? We rejoice in his faithfulness. Mary's song erupts in verse 46 to 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now to magnify something is to see it in more detail, to look at it more fully in order to appreciate, to wonder at it. It's like putting a cell under a microscope and marvelling at its intricacy and inner workings. Or it's also to point a telescope at the distant galaxies and to wonder at the vastness of the universe. Mary magnifies the Lord in that she now perceives him more intimately and with greater wonder and awe and she's in deeper praise and worship of him than she has been before. She rejoices and pours out her heart. Why? Why is she so joyful? Well, because in verse 48, she says that it's because God has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. He's shown kindness to her. He's shown her special attention. Now, if you are a parent or if you're not a parent, you may be aware that the Australian animated kids show, Bluey, has taken the world by storm. Our daughter, Magnolia, loves it, and Brian and I do too. And in an episode called Handstand, we watched the happy chaos of a big party that's going on. And kids are darting in and out, and they're playing various games. And in the midst of all that, a young character called Bingo, she's practising a handstand. And she desperately wants people's attention, but no one gives her attention until Grandma comes along. Grandma's been outside trying to be helpful, but no one seems to want her help in the kitchen or with their games or anything, but she discovers that her greatest contribution is to simply pay attention, to notice what others have missed. That's what God has done for Mary. Through the Old Testament, having God's eyes on you meant that you had his favour, his blessing, his protection and regard, and that is what has been given to Mary. She's lowly, no one's particularly interested in paying much attention to a teenager from Palestine, and yet God has acted for her. And we see that in verse, whoo, just got to find my place. In verse 50, his mercy is for all who fear him from generation to generation. And they will call her blessed, up in verse 49 and 48. They will call her blessed because God Himself has chosen her for one of the most defining aspects in all of salvation history, the bearer of the Messiah. And therefore, it's not just about what's happening to Mary. As I said in verse 50, she expands on the reason for her joy. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. She's not an isolated incident. What's happened to her is a continuation of God's mercy and his character from ages past. Now, in the very form and language of her song, she's deliberately designed it to echo the songs of Israel's past. Just like we heard in Psalm 18, Mary exalts in God as Israel's deliverer and in his mighty salvation. God remembers his promise is the big message, and saves his people. He is mighty, and he will come and do it. And Mary's song, if you have been listening over the last couple of weeks, has a remarkable similarity to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah praises God not only for giving her a son, but for the steadfastness of his character and the nature of his rule. And by doing this, by echoing these songs in her own song, Mary's doing a couple of things. She places herself in the story of all of Israel. What has happened to her, she is saying, isn't just another step. It isn't just another thing happening in history. It's actually the culmination of everything that has come before. And in saying that, the culmination of all of God's promises to his people through Abraham for land, people, and blessing and the world being blessed through her. So when people heard these words, when this psalm was read aloud, they would have started to bring to mind their whole history and God's promises for a Messiah. Now it's one thing, of course, to announce and rejoice with your friends when you have a pregnancy or someone else has a pregnancy. It's another thing to announce a new king. And it's another thing, again, to announce that the Messiah promised thousands of years ago to David and promised 2,000 years ago to Abraham is arriving. The song sparkles with the energy of long-held anticipation and disbelief. This is finally happening. How great then was Mary's rejoicing? And so how does Mary's response show us how, show us how to respond to God's salvation? Well, I think we are to rejoice, as I've said, in God's faithfulness and to see and look for his work. Now, perhaps at different times we feel discouraged or disappointed. Maybe we just feel distracted with life. We wonder whether God sees us, whether he cares about what our lives are like. Mary is a witness to the fact that God is intently interested in each of our individual lives and that he's working out his plan from the small to the great. God's mercy is indeed for all people and he knows in which ways we need mercy today. I think Mary's song helps us to respond to God's salvation because it tells us that we need to listen to the witness of the past As Mary brings in themes from the Psalms, from the Old Testament, remembering deliverance, she's teaching herself to reflect on what God has done and to trust for the future. I don't know if you find that hard sometimes. When we're in the midst of something really difficult, it can be hard to remember God's uh, love for us and to see his plan. But as we look to the past and listen to the collective memory of others, We see what God has done in us and for others. And we see that he keeps to his plan and he's fulfilling his promises. So that's the first way that we respond to God's salvation. So what's the second? We rejoice in his faithfulness, but we also submit to his rule. Let's look at this phrase in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. Now, we don't really like the idea of fearing God or people. It kind of brings to mind this image of cowering um, before some kind of imposing authority or obeying out of terror. But while it's true that God is indeed great, Mary's fear here means something closer to love and loyalty. True fear of the Lord isn't necessarily being scared or terrified of God but having a deep desire to please and honor him. And therefore, it's about voluntarily, willingly submitting ourselves to God. Mary talks about herself not just as a servant, but she uses this word lowliness, which literally means humiliation. And yet, look at what God has done for her. He honors those who have humbled themselves. He blesses those who become his servants. In verse 53, he fills the hungry with good things. Now, I wonder who it is that you serve and submit to. We have bosses at work, for sure. But I want to think about fear. Who is it that we give our love and our loyalty to? Whose opinion is it that matters most to us, that we desire the most? Now, maybe you're a bit like me. Uh, I am a classic people pleaser. (laughs) And I actually find writing sermons really difficult because one of the things that I love are words and one of the things that I want to be loved for are my words. And so it can be really hard not to just wish for the praise of others. And what that tells me about my heart is that the love that I crave, the pleasure that I seek, is not that of God, but maybe of you. And that, in some ways, makes me, and maybe it makes you in the people that you're afraid of, but it makes us servants of them. And that's actually really unhealthy and unhelpful for us. Maybe we express it in working too hard for various people's opinions, for our boss or our colleagues, respect Maybe I yield too much to the demands of friends. But God is a God of grace, and his kingdom and salvation is for those who fear him, for those who desire him and love and serve him and give themselves to his service. And they are those who are lowly and who are hungry. And this is good news. It's good news for you and for me. Now, you might have seen the show Undercover Boss, and it's where a CEO masquerades as a worker for a week in order to see what the people in his company's lives are really like. And often this results in them showing enormous generosity to particularly vulnerable staff, paying for medical bills, paying off debts and the like. It makes for good TV, uh, but it partly makes for good TV because we sense that this is right A wrong is being righted, an inequality corrected. A vulnerable person, rather than being exploited or oppressed, is being lifted up. There's a reversal of fortune, if only just for a moment. And I think this gives us a little glimpse of the grand hope of reversal that Mary says this child will bring, which is seen in verse 51 to 53. She starts, God has shown his strength, With his arm, like a great warrior, again as we heard in Psalm 18, defeating their last enemy, coming down and saving their people, planting a flag in the battlefield in victory. Mary recalls, God has acted for us. He's scattered those who are proud and powerful. He's taken away authority and agency from those who oppose him and his own and has raised up those who humbly submit to him. Now, Mary declares that this is the time when those who think much of themselves will be exposed and when corrupt and oppressive regimes and rulers will be brought to nothing. When those like the rich man who reveled in their health and wealth without a thought to Lazarus, the poor man, they will no longer be able to fill themselves while the vulnerable starve. So certain (laughs) is she of this, that she collapses time into one, as so though the child is, who's is still barely there in her womb um, has accomplished all this. The future is as good as done. The eternal kingdom promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, where peace and justice reign, she says, is finally here. Now, if it's true, this is good news. But this is good news for everybody. I'm sure you've noticed that the corollary to God lifting up the humble is that he has scattered the proud, that he's brought down the powerful, that he's sent the rich away empty. And maybe this is a moment for us to have a little reality check. Many of us are rich. Many of us have significant power. Some of us sit on thrones in corporations, in institutions, in family inheritances. But you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have a lot of status to be proud. The thing about these people, their failing, is their desire to live for and rule themselves, to define themselves in their own terms, and they can do this, we can do this in big and small ways. We do this in our lives. Which of us has not had a moment of haughtiness in the past week or not looked down upon another? Some look down on politicians, others on plebs, some on conservatives, others on progressives. Some look down on the poor, and some look down on the very wealthy. It's very difficult not to be proud in the thoughts of our own heart. And yet, God is the God of the humble. He is the God of those who recognize their need and are able to put themselves below him to see that we are actually in the same boat as everybody else, the people we would save and the people we'd rather not, and to acknowledge that we need help. And so what do we need to do? An appropriate and right response to God's salvation is is to submit ourselves to God. To think about in our heart whether we have been proud, whether we take our lives for ourselves or submit it to the Lord. And I think it also means that for those of us who have means, which is all of us here, including myself, He wants us to think about how it is that we will use our riches to lift up those who are poor. How might you and I use the power and influence that we have to speak for those who are voiceless, the ones who God is close to and that He loves especially? How is it that we might enact God's kingdom, His salvation? amongst the, mar- the marginalised and the powerless. So, in following Mary's example, we need to be lowly servants of a mighty God, not being proud but humble. And so finally, we've seen that we rejoice in God's faithfulness as we respond to his salvation and we submit to his rule and finally we depend on his mercy. Look at verses 54 and 55 with me. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the culmination of this song. If the proud are those who go their own way without reference to God, the humble are those whose confidence is in him and his promises. And in Christ, God has given us mercy that we didn't deserve and he's come near to us he hasn't forgotten his promises he's kept being faithful and he's come just at the right time jesus would grow up not only to enact god's rule by opposing the proud and lifting up the humble the hungry and the poor he himself would be humiliated depending on god's promise to him he would go hungry He would give up all riches and all power in order to become the lowliest of the low. And he did this in order that he might achieve for us what we could never achieve for ourselves. In submitting to our pride, he was taken away and given the punishment that we deserve. God opposed him and brought him down in order that we might be lifted up. And he did this reversal in order that the order of the world as it is might also be reversed, that the humble might be lifted up, that the powerful might be brought down. And therefore, a right response to God's salvation is to depend on his mercy. What does that look like? Well, it means trusting God enough that we can stop being anxious about being good enough. And it means like Mary entrusting our life and our future to him. It wasn't particularly convenient for Mary to submit to God and all that that meant for her. It might not look wise or respectable in the world's eyes for us to follow her example. But the way that this world works, the way that it sees power and glory and success, all of that is fading away. And the kingdom to come is the one that will stand. And so we need to live in light of that hope. To depend on God's mercy means actively cultivating a love for him so that we look to the future and dwell on the hope that he has brought to us. I wonder about what it looks like for you to live a life in conversation with God, with a future like that in mind. A life seeking after his heart, his pleasure, his goodness and mercy. And the good news for us is that God is a God whose mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so we can be deeply assured that we can come to him and that he will receive us. So how do we respond to God's salvation? We rejoice in his faithfulness, submit to his rule, and depend on his mercy. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us to be humble, that we would follow you, that we would follow you all the way into humiliation so that you might exalt us as you exalted Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.